1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's read from verses 1 through 16, the, the entire chapter, to get the idea behind it. Hear the word of the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ Thus far, the reading of God's inerrant, infallible Word. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask for Your blessing on this Word. We have come this morning because we are a people who needs to hear from the Lord God Almighty. And we ask that You would indeed speak to us through Your Word. uh, That You would guard our hearts. That we might receive only that which is truth. And that which is truth would go on to sanctify us. We want to be a mature people. And we know that only the Spirit works that in us. As we hear these mysteries, this secret concealed wisdom, would you teach, it, teach us by them? We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. I guess it was about, about two months ago now that a report came out from a couple of guys uh, out of Johns Hopkins University. And as you know, Johns Hopkins is, especially the medical school, is very well respected. And these men, in particular, Lawrence Mayer and Paul McHugh, uh, are, are, are very respected. Paul McHugh, in fact, is an internationally known uh, psychologist, psychiatrist. And they went back, what they did is they went back and they reviewed scientific studies over the course of a few years in an in, in, in array of fields um, and produced their results. It was a massive study. And to quote them, they concluded this. 
Now, I want you to understand this. Our culture, our society says to us, if it isn't Christian, um, we rely on science. Science to us is the end-all, be-all. And so these scientists concluded from their survey of these other scientific studies this. The understanding of sexual orientation as an innate, biologically fixed property of human beings, in other words, the idea that people are born that way, is not supported by scientific evidence. Now, these are two well-respected men in their fields, respectively. And they are coming to these conclusions after doing their own scientific survey of these other, of these other reports. Well, what do you think is happening now to those two men? There have been calls for lawsuits against them. How dare you? How dare you come to such a conclusion that Johns Hopkins University should disavow them? And so it reveals what? It reveals this to us, that our culture is a confused culture. On the one hand, it wants to accept everything that science has to offer, but on the other hand, when science reaches a conclusion that we disagree with, we reject it. And so you wonder, who's leading whom? Well, I believe that this text this morning speaks to that. We ask ourselves... How is it that we can come to such a confused perspective that on the one hand you you affirm something, but when it fails to reach your conclusions, you reject it? Which conclusion are you going to hold on to? Which worldview do you hold on to? How are we so confused? Well, the scriptures here throughout 1 Corinthians teach us that culture is confused because it is not able to understand the revelation of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, you and I understand that God has revealed Himself in nature. In fact, God has revealed Himself in you. You are an aspect of His revelation. You understand that? That in everything that He has made, He makes Himself known. But apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, you're not able to understand that revelation. In fact, it is kept from you. So the point that we want to make this morning is this, in terms of of the wisdom of the Christian, is this. The Christian is sanctified by a wisdom neither of himself nor of his culture, but of God. The Christian is sanctified by a wisdom neither of himself nor of his culture, but of God. And these few verses, verses 6 through 9, are going to give us six points regarding the Christian's wisdom. And I've got these down to about 20 minutes apiece, I think. <laughs> I'm only joking. Look with me, with me, if you will, at verse 6 again. <clears throat> Paul begins there with the word, however. Uh, in the original, the and or but. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. So what, what I want you to notice, first of all, is Paul begins here with, with a however or an and or a but. So he's continuing a flow of thought. I want you to see that. What is the flow of thought that he's continuing? It actually begins in chapter 1 and verse 10. Something you need to know about the church at Corinth. They were dividing. And grace 
church right now is coming to a point where you guys, you, you, you're coming to a point of unity. And you're particularizing. And praise God for that. But, but the day will come because Satan is active in dividing churches. The day will come when he's going to seek to introduce the vision amongst you. Somehow, some way, he's going to sow that little bit of, of yeast that's going to seek to leaven the whole lump. And come back and look at 1 Corinthians. They're dividing. And so in, chapter, in verse 10 of chapter 1, Paul warns them. He says, Now I plead with you, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so he goes on and he addresses these divisions, but he doesn't say, he doesn't say listen, listen, John, uh, you need to quit, quit uh, talking badly about Frank behind his back. He doesn't address this division in that way. What he begins to do is he points them to the fact that what you're doing, if you're doing those things, you are taking Christ off of the cross. Do you understand that? Because this is His church. And He wants them to understand from a theological and a doctrinal point what it is that they're doing. And so He comes to this point and we speak wisdom. And so He's doing that. But He's also doing another thing. If you look back at verses 1-5, through I want you to notice something else. Look particularly at verses 4 and 5. He says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So what Paul is doing here is, and he does this often, so if you look in 1 Thessalonians, for instance, what Paul does is he'll say, I want you to go back and I want you to remember how I came to you. I want you to remember my ministry amongst you. And he does the same thing here in 1 Corinthians. I want you to remember how the Gospel came to you and how you responded. And he speaks all in past tense verbs there. And so he shifts in verse 7. I did not come to you speaking in words of wisdom, high-sounding words. So in verse 6, but we do speak wisdom. We do speak wisdom. Christianity, coming to faith, is not asking you to put your intellect at the door. When you walk into this room, we're not asking you to stop thinking. That's not what the Scriptures are asking you to do. The Scriptures are saying to you, come with your mind, love the Lord your God with all your mind, and let your mind be transformed. Let your thinking be transformed. We do speak wisdom, but to whom do we speak wisdom? Look again at verse 6. We speak wisdom among those who are mature. In verse 2 of this same chapter, Paul said, I determined to know nothing 
among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You've probably heard people use that verse to say, listen, I'm not worried about doctrine. I don't study theology. I just look at this verse from Paul and I see all, he said, all I want to know is the cross. I know the cross and that's all that I need to know. But you have to notice something else. In what context did Paul say that? It was in the context of when he came to a group of people who had no church. They hadn't heard the gospel. So what are you going to preach to a group of unbelievers who have never heard the gospel? You're going to preach to them the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's all that they need to hear. They need to hear the cross. But that's not the end. You come into the church via the cross. But now Paul says to you, there's more. The cross needs to go on to transform the way that you parent. The cross needs to go on to transform the way that you deal with your slaves in this culture. The cross needs to go on and transform the way that you run your business or teach or whatever it is that you do. The cross should be sanctifying every aspect of your life. It is an ongoing state. Having been delivered then, we're not turned back to the wisdom of the world. Okay, you've got the Jesus part. Now just go on, go back and do the things the way that you were doing them. No, it goes on to sanctify us. Look, if you will, or just listen, let me read to you 1 Corinthians or Hebrews chapter 5, 12 to 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We need to go on to maturity. So, as in other places, listen. Paul did not see evangelism as an end in itself. And that's where a lot of our friends, our Christian friends, get it wrong. They just, all they do is they evangelize, they evangelize, they evangelize, they evangelize, and they never go on to discipleship. The cross is a door by which you enter into the kingdom of God and grow to be like His Son. We need to be a people who are discipling. That's the goal. Remember when, when God brought Israel out of Egypt? That was the great redemption. He brought them out by His mighty hand. Why? To display His power. And then they get into the wilderness and He says, okay, mission accomplished. No. They went into the wilderness to become His worshipers. And He gave them an entire system to point them to the coming Messiah to show them that He desired their complete and utter holiness. Come to Me and be like Me. Go on to maturity. So Paul begins by telling us what this wisdom is not in just a couple of points here. 
Wisdom, the wisdom, the Christian's wisdom sanctifies. But what kind of wisdom is it? First of all, go back to verse 6. It is not the wisdom of this age. We do speak wisdom among those who are mature, but it's not those, the wisdom of this age. Well, well, what is this age? What age is that? It's the age in which we're living. It's the age in which the Corinthians were living. In other words, what he's saying to them is this is, this is not a, a wisdom that corresponds to the culture in which you're living. It's not a wisdom that's, that's normative in the unregenerate. So in other words, as you, you may be reviewing a contract and you have your friends are saying to you, listen, we don't have to disclose that. And before I went into the ministry, I was in banking. And so we would have these ads. And at the very bottom of those ads would be fine print. And in that fine print, we would try to put as small a text as possible, some of the details of this great rate that we're putting, giving you. In other words, tomorrow it expires. But Christian wisdom tells you that you're a truth teller. When you write contracts, you write those contracts so that both parties may benefit. And you're honest. You don't deal the way that the world deals. But what is our wisdom? It is a wisdom that is from God, number three. Look at verse 7a. It is not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God. God's wisdom is in stark contrast to man's wisdom. Why? Because it's not a wisdom that you gain just by living. You ever said to somebody, maybe a child, you're old enough to know better? In other words, you should have lived long enough by this point to understand that if you do that, you're going to get this consequence. You're going to have to put your nose in a corner or your behind might get a little red. You're old enough to know better. You can never, listen, you will never ever live long enough to attain to the wisdom of God. It's not a matter of physical growth. In other words, you can be 95 years old and act like a child because you don't have the wisdom of God. You're not able to look upon this world, this earth, and see what it is really saying. That God exists. That He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable. How was God's wisdom, though, given to us? Look again at verse 7. God's wisdom is given in a mystery. It is the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. God's wisdom, it is a mystery that has been concealed. And this is a problem. Those who, are, who do not have the Spirit of God, what do they believe? What is true? The only thing that is true is what I can hear and what I can see and what I can smell and what I can taste and what I can touch. What I can sense with, with, with my being, that is what I accept as true. And even then, sometimes I don't even accept that. 
But much of the wisdom of God cannot be perceived by the senses. As we go back and and look at chapter 1, verse 21, we read, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. The world through its wisdom did not know God. In other words, what he's saying is, we could get all of the intellect of this world into a room and it would never attain to the wisdom of God. What brilliant, bright man would have said, I know how God would redeem the world. If I were God, I would send my Son, who is also God, to take on a body to undergo all the miseries of this life. I want Him to undergo that. And not only that, He's going to endure the wrath of His Father. And He's going to go and be nailed to a Roman cross. And He's going to die and shed His blood. In fact, He's going to fulfill the law for all of these people who hate Me. No man ever thought of that. In fact, the Scriptures teach us in 1 Peter that when God revealed this to the prophets, they didn't even fully understand what they were prophesying about. It is wisdom that is concealed. Does this mean that God's wisdom is difficult to understand? Is this hard to understand? When we read the Bible, do we have an excuse because this is hard stuff? No, that's not what it's saying. When God speaks, He speaks absolutely clearly. What it is saying is that this is an issue of ability. Men in and of themselves do not have the ability to understand God's revelation. And I want you to understand something here. that This is an area where you and I, as Reformed and Presbyterian people, based on our understanding of Scripture, can speak to our culture. Our culture, those who are trying to understand things are saying, how, I, how is it, how do I speak to a man who comes to me and says, I believe I'm a woman? How, what do I say to somebody like that? How do I tell him that his feelings are wrong? Well, you tell him his feelings are wrong this way because you're fallen. Your existence is crying out about the presence of an almighty God And as long as you deny that, as long as you don't have the Spirit, you can't even understand yourself properly. You don't know the purpose for your existence. Think of it this way. In understanding that these men are without excuse, if I went over to your house and you called me and said, Brian, I need a babysitter. I've called everybody else. And so I'm calling you. I just need you to come and sit with my baby for a little while. And I said, are you okay? I, do you have some instructions for me? I'm looking for a list of emergency contact numbers and all that kind of thing. You say, there's a baby. You should know what to do. And so a little while later, uh, time's gone by and I'm feeding the baby pieces of bread only to find out that your child has an allergy 
And you come home, and I'm all in a panic. I say, listen, I had no idea. I had no idea that your child had this allergy, and now he's all swollen, and I'm not sure what to do, and I need some help. You say, how is it possible that you didn't know he had an allergy? I had the bread stored all the way up on the top shelf. Did you not notice that all the wheat products are in Lot's cabinets? You had to get a key to take it out? Did you not see the EpiPens stored in the refrigerator? Wherever you might store EpiPens. If you had just observed with the right eyes, you would have seen what was clearly calling out to you. Okay. This is the issue with our culture, with the unregenerate. It's all around. It's all around. But apart from the Spirit of God, they cannot see it. They cannot understand it. We see this even in the disciples in Mark chapter 4 and verse 41. They had seen Jesus Christ do all of these miracles. In fact, they get on a boat with Him. And the waves become a little bit high and the winds grow. Probably in reverse order. And they say, Lord, you're sleeping in the boat. We need some help. And so Jesus stands up, and by His Word, everything goes placid. What's their response? He said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? In other words, you have seen me heal person after person after person after person. I fed 5,000 people. How do you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, listen to this question. Who can this be? Who can this be? That even the wind and the sea obey Him. The answer is obvious to you and me. But you think about the disciples sitting in the boat and seeing His miracles and they still had no idea. And Mark, by the way, builds and builds and builds this idea that nobody understands. Nobody understands until until chapter 9 when Jesus turns to Peter and He says to him, Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter. But the Spirit of God. We believe in the wisdom of God. Number four. Is this, is this wisdom concealed? Here's a question. Is this wisdom concealed because it's being worked out? In other words, you and I, we respond to our circumstances and our situations. When I see that child, they're swelling because I fed him loaves, loaves of bread. I respond and I administer medication to him to help him out. Is that the way God is is building His plan? In other words, maybe the cross, here it is, maybe the cross was God's response. I've, I've worked with Adam and Eve. I've worked with Israel. Everybody keeps rejecting me. Everybody keeps rejecting my plan. How am I going to figure this out? Uh, Jesus, will you go? Will you please go? Let's just get this thing done with. Will you go? You know that some people say that that you should think about God that way and that you would be comforted by that knowledge. One author depicts it this way. My brother 
was coming around a corner on his motorcycle and a car pulled out in front of him and he hit the car and he died on the pavement. But you know what comforts me is that God was just as surprised by that as I was. Is that why God's wisdom is concealed? Because He doesn't even know what He's going to do yet? Absolutely not. Look at verse 7 again with me. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom. Now now listen to this. Which God ordained before the ages for our glory. We have a wisdom that sanctifies. We have a wisdom that is not of this age. We have the wisdom of God. And we have a wisdom that is predetermined. What does that mean? What does it mean that He ordained it before the ages? What are the ages? I don't even understand what that means. Turn over with me, if you will, to Titus. Titus is after 1st and 2nd Timothy. It's one of the pastoral epistles. Titus chapter 1. And Paul here is, in chapter 1, he's doing his normal greeting, but he goes a little bit further and he tells us, what exa- how do you stay motivated in this ministry, Paul? How do you keep doing what you're doing? You're coming now to the end of your life, and, and he didn't know that for sure, but he's done this for a while now. And he says, he's a bondservant of God in verse 1 and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. Now pay attention here. In hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised when? Before time began. Yours may say long ages ago. Yours may say, before the world began. Paul is giving us a picture here that God made a promise. When? Before He had put light, before He had taken this earth that was formless and void and given it form and shape by Jesus Christ, before He had done all of that, God had made a promise. Did you realize that? God made a promise before He had done all of those things. Turn back with me to 2 Timothy, maybe just a page over in your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Who did He make this promise to? Adam's not there. Eve is not there. Animals are not there. Light is not there. To whom did he make the promise? 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus when Before time began. Same phrase. Same words. We we received grace in Christ Jesus before the world began. 
God did not respond to Adam's fall and give us grace. He is not a responding God. It wasn't a response to the failure of Israel to adhere to the Mosaic Covenant. If God is a responsive God, He's no different than you and me. He's no God at all. He set this plan down before He called the world into existence. This true God, who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, has determined every event before it happens, even the crucifixion, so that we can read in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through Him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, Him, listen, being delivered by the predetermined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands. God had predetermined the death of Christ and had determined to receive that death by His grace and put it to our account. It is a wisdom that is predetermined. Let me give you one final one. Number five. Wisdom that is not known to the rulers of this age. Look at verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It is a wisdom that is predetermined. And it is also a wisdom that is not known to the rulers of this age. In verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Back up in verse 6, Paul mentions that this is not a a wisdom that is known to the rulers of this age. And just a general blanket statement. In other words, those who are influential in your communities, they do not necessarily have the wisdom of God just because of their position. But now he goes on to mention some specific rulers. Look again at it. Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So who's he talking about? Well, Annas, Caiaphas, the high priest, Herod Antipas, and Pontius Pilate. Those four men played a significant role in bringing Christ to death. Those are the men he's talking about. And here's the significant thing. They knew what he had done. They had seen and heard about his power, of his healings, just like the disciples. They knew who he was. In fact, in Luke chapter 23 and verse 8, let me read this to you. This is fascinating. He comes to Herod. And it says, now when Herod saw Jesus, he was, listen, he was exceedingly glad. That's the way many of us say, if Jesus came today, I would be exceedingly glad. And here's Herod, who puts him to death, and who receives him, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him. And he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Here's what Herod wanted. He sees Jesus. He comes through the door and he says, Hey, pull a quarter out of my ear. Uh, 
That's what Jesus is to many people. Hey, make my legs the same length. Pay off my mortgage. Heal all my relationships. To these men, Jesus was nothing more than a dignified magician. And Paul says they had no clue about the wisdom of God. Do you know how Paul knows? Apart from the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Because if they had known, they would not have put that man to death. What would they have done? Like Peter, they'd have fallen down at his feet and said, You are the Christ. How did they reject him and submit him to an open shame? Because he did not appeal to them. They did not have the wisdom of God. It was hidden from them. How? It was hidden by the corruption of their own hearts. And they're they're leaders. They're rulers. But the wisdom of God was hidden from them. And they didn't know that they were carrying out a divine drama that was set down way back in Genesis 3.15 playing their parts. We have a wisdom from God that sanctifies. Are you being sanctified by that wisdom? Have you for a time now been satisfied with what you know and you're just figuring it out now as you go along? You're sort of running your business and you're, you're cooperating a little bit with the world's wisdom and you're picking up ideas maybe from here and there. Or maybe in your parenting. Maybe you're saying to yourself, you know what, I've tried all of those biblical routes and nothing seems to be working. My children still seem to be rebelling against me. I, I don't, this doesn't work. Let me go over here and see what Dr. Phil has to say. Maybe it's in the way that you deal with your employees. And you say, you know what, this guy just doesn't deserve my mercy. He never is here on time. He's never doing what I'm asking him to do. He doesn't deserve it. The wisdom of God, if you have it, will teach you, first of all, to trust in the One who has given you that wisdom. Are you trusting Him? And abiding by the principles He set down for you. These men reviewed all of God's creation. They could see everything that was external. They could hear this preaching. And yet they go away unchanged. Or maybe they go out in the streets and they gather a mob to beat the apostles. We can hear the same things, we can see the same things, and we can come to different conclusions because we lack the Spirit of God. And if you have the Spirit of God this morning, if you are professing the name of Jesus Christ as your Savior, then that's going to show up in the way that you are sanctified by that Spirit. The way that you think. 
God's wisdom is a wisdom that sanctifies. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank You that in Your wisdom You did what no man ever would have done, and that is You sent Your only Son that He might shed His blood for our sins. He gave His life. He fulfilled the law in our behalf. And we praise You for that. And we ask that You would would now sanctify us by that wisdom. Enable us to grow. And as Grace Presbyterian Church continues its path of unity, of saying the same thing, we ask for Your garden. That You would guard them. That You would keep the work of Satan away from every individual. We praise You in Christ's name for this. Amen.